All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the overlap. I'm like almost started like tempted to start calling this the Elias and Rion podcast. Not that we're like rebranding or anything, just like does it flow better? Or is that just like a me thing? Or am I just speaking <laughs> in the avoid? I, I, uh, <laughs> it definitely does. It doesn't. would be a nice it doesn't flow better. It does not no. flow better. But, uh, it would be a nice name for a podcast that was uh maybe about like life or something <laughs> like maybe like maybe maybe, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. maybe that's a side podcast that we do with like a decade nice yeah i don't know if i'm ready to be a meme yet like having a soccer podcast is at least slightly niche whereas a life podcast i think is jumbled into the rest of what the world is like it could be it could, could have an advice advice podcast even <laughs> where we just do q a's yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds sick and then uh we'll we'll invite personalities on you're not even yeah. ready yeah <laughs> well we're teasing our new podcast no i'm kidding we yeah, yeah but anyway welcome back people um it's been what like a week since we last recorded which usually is like usually do one and a half on average i feel like a week yeah. at this point but no, it's good to be back. Um, Rian, how are you? Rian, Rian has told me that he is very busy this evening and he just wants to talk about soccer. He doesn't want to talk to me. He just wants to talk about football. That's it. <laughs> oh, when you put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. No, of course I'm kidding. Um, but no, please tell me. Tell me, how are you? Oh, doing doing good. Doing good. <clears throat> it feels like this week will be the like, start of spring a little bit not not full on spring but uh feels like this week's gonna be pretty good weather wise like we had snow on sunday and then today it was got pretty sunny and then tomorrow is supposed to be really nice apparently so yeah that's that's march in a nutshell like in the northeast like <laughs> it's basically like you spend every couple days 30 degrees and then the next are like 60 and there's no in between so yeah yeah, yeah. that's about that's basically about it but anyway excited excited for that excited for the um yeah for the vitamin d honestly the vitamin d will be huge yeah. <laughs> truly truly well rian this weekend was a very very big weekend for football in general like ve- underratedly i think important um we could talk about all the chelsea saga stuff but i feel like we should probably hold off because a that's not in our notes and b um there's probably going to be more updates in the next like five days so uh, it, it, it is in our notes what are you talking is it about? oh yeah. it's like the number one thing on the chelsea side man i just i my eyes my eyes saw top four update and uh wanted to talk about ronaldo but i skipped over that part so uh yes clearly i read the There's- notes beforehand yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when we get to it, we'll get to it. But it is, <laughs> there is still, as Ellie said, there is still kind of a lot up in the air at the moment. So there's only so much we can talk about. Only so much. Well, uh, Rian, let's start in England. Let's start in the Premier League, as we always do. Let's talk about, our, should I say it, a title race? Can I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I've been saying I mean, it for four I mean, months, but some other people on this podcast have not. Oh, so all right. I, I will. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> when we start calling, oh, I'll remember this for the next time that, that there's a team <laughs> that's eight points up and, and I'll have to go back. I don't think you were calling it a title race when I was, I wasn't necessarily calling it a title race, you but I was not done. writing it. You off. were not calling it. I, w- I'll I was give not you that. calling it. I'll done. give you that. Yes. I'll and I think it was important to recognize that. Um, 
in the context, of course, of the fact that City have dropped two points today. They did not pick up one. They dropped two uh, against a Palace side that, like, every year I feel like Spurs and Crystal Palace are the two teams that City just cannot ever figure out. Like, every other team they have in they, some they ways They are kind out. of a, yeah, they are kind of like a, a bogey team. Like, a, a just, like, a tough, <laughs> every season, you're right. There's they, it, always it, one it, result with, with them. It and they beat them no earlier this season as well, too. Exactly. It makes no oh. sense to me, quite honestly. But... Let's talk about let's talk about the title race, right? That's what we're going to call it. Um, Liverpool four points behind, a game in hand, and yet, excuse me, to play Manchester City at um, Etihad. Yeah. On I, I forget what day in early April, but it's early April. It's um, April April tenth, I believe. April tenth. There you go. So, with a game in hand now, are we? Should we be concerned? About City? I mean, okay, we're talking about two of the best teams in the world. We're not even talking about just two of the best teams in England. So, like, I'm not concerned about City as a team. But should we be concerned at all about their title chances? Okay, yeah, I, that's a better – That's. I'll start with concerned at all. Concerned at all, I'd say no. I mean, look, today they, they hit the post a couple times. They – put up i think almost uh, xg of almost three today um <laughs> like they 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 got a a, a bit unlucky in a, in a in a couple um in a couple of their shots right i was like, like i said hitting the post another one is that bernardo silva chance close to the end of the the game i thought Grealish played really well again so great signs for, for the team going forward um you know, you yeah. know who I thought was I, I don't want to say underwhelming, but I was just disappointed by disappointed by where he was playing. Um Phil Foden. I, I don't like Phil Foden in a false nine. I'll say it now. Yeah, it's not the first time he's tried him there, too. Yeah. And I feel like the results have been mixed. Like some games it's okay, some games it works, some games it's it's not it's not consistently, I think, his best position, right? You do kind of lose some of the great stuff about him <laughs> that when you put him like congested in the middle there, especially with how well I thought Palace at least forced City to go out wide, right? And and City still found ways through because they just worked like the half spaces and moved the ball really, really quickly as they always do. But um, yeah, it, it, he was a bit uh congested in that position i agree i i don't love that position for him which made it also weird why uh pep did not make any subs in the game not a single substitution used i mean in the least i guess like sterling i'm surprised he never came on um it not to say that nothing was work i mean it was they were still creating chance after chance but it wasn't quite working so i I guess he'd just be asking for a sub for the hell of it, but it wasn't working. I feel like it. I'm not. I'm, we're not here to criticize Pep Guardiola. No, no. <laughs> but, but it's, that, that we definitely can't do, but we can at least analyze where they are in the title race. Like, I think we both are kind of in agreement now that it's a little bit more 50 50 than it was, you know, a, a couple of months ago. And I think their form between November and January was otherworldly. And the one lesson I think you and I have learned probably over the course of the last two seasons, especially, I mean, Chelsea is a really good example of this. You can't just, it, it is so difficult to keep up a world-class run of form 
for a full season, let alone a half a season. Like it is so, so difficult. Players get injured. Players get tired. I mean, it is so difficult. I I think about uh, there's so many teams that I was like, you know, at the beginning of the season, I've been like, wow, they're off to a great start. And then middle of the season, it's like X, Y, and Z happens. But City have been an anomaly in that case. And I think it's important to recognize that. Yeah. And and it's important to also give credit to Liverpool for staying this close the entire time, too, because for them to be in this position to take advantage of inevitable points that were going to be dropped at some point by City, um, like literally on a case of today where they play really well and it's just this sport just does that to you sometimes. <laughs> um, you just see somehow don't get a win. Um, but Liverpool have kept the pressure on and they've kept winning. Um, now they have a really difficult game coming up this Wednesday against Arsenal who come into that game playing the best that they've played under Mikel Arteta, playing the best that they've played. I I mean, probably better than they played at any point under Emery, I would. I would say right. Um, so we're probably. I, going... I think I think we're we're starting to get beyond that point. I would not go as far to say as they've put up a consistent run of form to say they are better than that Embry side yet, but they are showing signs that they are absolutely on the up. I think Lacazette's goal this weekend was really really positive for him, and that to me alone is a sign of something really really special. So. Um, do you do you want to talk about Odegaard or do you want me to talk about no, Odegaard? No, no, no. Because... It, it'll be it'll be four. It'll be, we're, we're coming up on week three of the of the Odegaard um, train of the Odegaard jerkoff fest that <laughs> that does not need to stop. It doesn't need to stop because he's not allowing it. Um, right. You know, he, amazing again. Um, matched his season high for shot creating actions in a game. I think that's two straight weeks where he hit eight fifth in the league now for shot creating actions per 90 there was like there's a, like a two two and a half minute compilation that i uh, someone posted on twitter for, of his game this it's just i mean i haven't enjoyed watching arsenal play this much it, like again since probably 2016 Ars- probably yeah like- yeah probably since one of like Wenger's last season like, I, I mean again like you said it's too early to say definitely better than the the emery team but but I don't think Emery sides played any better than what we've seen from Arsenal in the last five weeks. So, yeah, so they're at yeah. least matching whatever the best of Arsenal under Unai Emery looked like. Um, 100%. They, they, they beat a lesser side that is that is just not nearly at the same level as last season. We've talked about it due to injuries and you know, some also I think some weird decisions from Brendan Rodgers in general. Um, weird that he weird amount of games that. Inacho has played as like the only number nine when he was so good last season as like that second striker. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's something that's been disappointing, I think, from a lesser side. But no, this is a huge game, obviously, for both sides because Arsenal is trying to hold on to that fourth place spot. And the, we've talked about how this next month, month and a half for Arsenal um, is really difficult like um the team that they're playing they got past Leicester but I think it gets more difficult from here um I don't know, at least it, how are you feeling about that game now I think I think Liverpool were begging for City to drop points against Palace because this game now I think if they if they don't win this game there's 
it's not the end of the world because they still have that three-point gap. But I, I am almost more excited to see how Arsenal performs in this game. So am I. So am I. I, I it's I listen, I still expect Liverpool to win. I, I think that should be said, but I'm very excited to see how Arsenal perform against the Liverpool side the two years ago, like pre-pandemic. I remember me, you, and a few of our friends went to go watch that game in a bar. And it was like watching like massacre a bunch of sheep, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It was actually really sad. And I, I think this time will be very, very different in the same way that Arsenal really put up a fight against Manchester city, arguably could have beat Manchester city, you know, a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a month ago now. Last team they I, lost to as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Last team they lost to, but I, I'm very much expecting a similar type of drive from this Arsenal team. And that's the most exciting part about it. Like there is a sense of drive and it's largely driven by in the same way that it is with, you know, Barcelona, like the younger generation of talent coming through. And it's really exciting. And I think Mikel Arteta deserves props finally for being able to turn around again, the psychological aspect of this game, which I think you and I know is one of the most important parts. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I know Elias takes that into account more than I do most times, but, but you can see it. There's just the confidence. Um, it's just something that I underestimate a lot of times. I think when I'm, when I'm watching soccer, but like the confidence, you can just see it in this team. And, and look, Martin Odegaard will probably end up being world-class. He's pretty much there. He's pretty close to there right now. He just, just needs to consistently well, I mean, Ellis would even argue that he has consistently done it over the last. I, I would argue for the last so, two years. So, yeah, so that's. So I, I'm not even gonna go that far, but yeah, he's 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 pretty much he's world class level right now. This is and, this is the last thing I'll say on Odegaard. It is a shame that he left Real Madrid from an objective standpoint because we lost seeing him in La Liga, but it could not have been a better decision for him to leave because there is no way that he was displacing Luka Modric. It just it was never going to yeah. happen. Um, and he ended up at the perfect, perfect place. Um, and that I think it was 29 million euros or something in, in that range is going to look like a freaking bargain if he keeps up, uh, you know, the, the way things are going in the next couple of years. Yeah, one of those rare situations where I, I think that um, fit matters a lot, especially for a young, younger player. Um, so, so he's obviously got a better fit in this club because they've Arsenal does rely a bit more on that type of player in the middle of the field whereas Madrid Modric is amazing right but but he's not the same type of player as Odegaard right he's a bit he plays a bit deeper he can control games from different areas of the field Um, so there wouldn't have been an easy slot in even if he did take over for Modric there right Um, there still would have needed to be some sort of uh, fit matching for for Odegaard so worked out great for Odegaard obviously and like it's gonna end up being like Madrid aren't gonna really regret it that much in the end, even if even though yeah. they prop even though they got way less than they probably didn't you know looking back now like way less than they probably should have um but you know things are working out for them too they've got they kind of got the pipeline of their midfield set up now for pretty close for the next few years at least with uh, Camavinga, but last thing, Elias, 
quick prediction of the result on Wednesday for you, Liverpool versus Arsenal. I'm going to one for Liverpool. I, I think Arsenal will absolutely put up a fight. I think the biggest difficulty that Liverpool will, co- will come up against, at least defensively, is how do they deal with the speed and behind of Saka and Martinelli? And I think Arsenal, the biggest thing Arsenal will have to be, deal with defensively is like everything. So I think I think it's just a slight golf in talent at the end of the day. Um, but I, I do think that Liverpool win. I, th- I also think Arsenal score. Like we're not talking about a, a bad team anymore. <laughs> we just aren't. So, um, Rian, I know we're talking about Arsenal, but we're also talking about them in the context of a top four race, which is also pretty incredible to think about given where they were this time last year a top four race this past weekend which i I don't know if he is currently listening but uh one of my friends from work was actually at this game um united versus tottenham at old trafford to witness ronaldo score what almost was the perfect hat trick put up arguably one of his best performances in a Manchester United shirt. I won't even I won't even say just the season, but in Manchester United shirt. Um and cover up anything Harry Maguire did. So <laughs> Rian, was this Ronaldo's best performance of the season? Of course, United winning 3-2, but was this was this his best performance? Oh man, that the relief um <laughs> that I saw of Harry Maguire after that third goal. Um, in the celebration, it was just I. I don't think anyone hugged Ronaldo more than than McGuire <laughs> in that celebration. Jubilation! <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it's gonna be hard to to say no to that to your question there, at least. Um, it's his only a second ever hat trick with Manchester United, which is kind of crazy to think about as well. But look, this was the game. This this is the this is the one game where he did a lot of the things that he's done all season right but they came off like and not just they came off look the second and the third goal are like is that's Ronaldo to a T the the kind of this stage of his career Ronaldo to a T that just poachers finishes um just doing everything he can being in the right position at the right time timing runs perfectly and and um and still having elite athleticism to out jump two different Tottenham players on the on the corner and score um the first goal he's been trying that all season and it's only worked out once so that that one it's like he gave him the confidence to do the rest to just just finally be like just get in the box just do the normal striker stuff stop dropping into midfield to get the ball this is this is what he was signed to do like th- this game, not this game, but the role he played in this game was exactly what he was signed to do. And when he didn't have to do all of those things that you just mentioned, look what happened. Like we, you and I said this when he was signed, like the day he was signed, if United don't make him do all of the stupid bullshit that they want 
basically some combination of McTominay and Fred to do, he will be incredible. That's where he will add, but he will detract from the side when he has to do everything else. And for some reason, for two thirds of the season, he's had to do everything else because no one else is of that talent level. That's literally it. Um, and then Fred decided to turn into, as you said, prime caca and do that. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was outstanding on the day. Honestly, he was really good. Um, it's an interesting one with Fred. He obviously looks better when there's just, it doesn't even have to be a very good defensive midfielder playing with him, but just a defensive midfielder. And um, it helped with Matic being there. Matic has his own deficiencies right now too, because of mostly age, but uh, Fred just looks a lot better when he's not the guy expected to hold things together in midfield. So from the Ronaldo point of view, yeah, best best performance of the season, most touches and most ball carries for him in a league game this season since the first game of the season, first Premier League game of the season for him that, that against Newcastle in September. So look, he, he was more involved in this game, and that helps the team. And he, more importantly, he was more involved in like the final third and not, <laughs> again, not dropping back to, to try to get a touch of the ball interesting that it was a game where Bruno Fernandez wasn't playing. So the space. Maybe, okay. You know, you, know. <laughs> you said it, you said it, not me. If, if it came from me, it would have sounded biased, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> there might've been space that there wasn't before. So, you know, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> from, from the, from the Tottenham side of this, Elias, uh, they weren't even necessarily bad. They had more no. possession. They had more passes and touches in the final third and penalty area, but they were still outshot 11 to nine. Like, my, my, my only thing that I learned from the end of this game was just like this, the, the combinations, the coaching is there. The movement is there for the most part and pattern of play is there. They're, they're all doing it and, and, doing it to the best of their abilities. The problem is the best of their abilities is still not even like the fifth best team in the league. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. Um, I think they still require pretty hefty upgrades continually this summer. Um, I think the one thing that Conte has done a really good job of, we could talk about tactics. I mean, I could talk about tactics as Rihanna knows for a while, but again, I'll, I'll, I'll just hint at the psychological game and the importance of it. Like I'm glad that Spurs did not go down and out in this game at some point, like they very, very easily could have. And I was pretty impressed with how they stayed in it basically till the final whistle. It made it entertaining for me as a neutral, but also for Spurs fans, I think you can leave that game with some semblance of pride because even towards the end, I thought, okay, they, they could draw level here. And the only reason that you've lost is, basically one freakish shot that 99 out of 100 players cannot make <laughs> of course it's probably Ronaldo's first goal but like uh, yeah I I would not be discouraged by this if I was a Spurs fan yeah agreed I, look they were they were beaten by Ronaldo that's pretty much it Ronaldo had eight of United's 11 shots yeah. in this game so like it, he really is preparing for Atleti. He, he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to act like true. I'm playing Atletico Madrid. That's game. very true. And you know what's interesting? Have you seen all of the conspiracy theories about him and Tom Brady? 
like uh, how, no, no. so there, there's a conspiracy theory going around that because <laughs> Tom Brady was at the United Spurs game and then talked to Ronaldo on the field after the game, like he came down to the grass video of them talking and then not like eight hours later, Tom Brady announces that he's coming back to play for the Bucks and he's coming out of retirement. So everybody is basically in agreement that uh, that's a conspiracy theory. And Ronaldo has convinced Tom Brady to he come inspired, out. Of he inspired Brady to play again. That's hilarious. Yep. <laughs> Between that and and Brady looking at the prospect of spending 24 hours a day with his children, that was that was enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess if you're you're 45 and you have nothing better to do, that's the the natural route. But uh, well, um, but yeah, look, look, you know, I still have an uphill climb here. I think to to get above Arsenal and finish there for the rest of the season. They still think they're not playing as well as Arsenal. Um, but yeah, this this is quote unquote why they brought him here um, for Ronaldo. So. Look, we'll we'll see this week. I I do think they're going to get past Atleti, even though Atleti has been I, playing I well, too. playing well recently. Yeah. They're Atleti are in better form going into this leg than they were going to the first leg, and so it's it. Whereas the first leg, I said you couldn't catch me dead watching that game, and then <laughs> I, and then I did and regretted it immediately after the whistle, final whistle. Um. The two teams are in, I think, better form going into this leg than than before. So it should be more entertaining. And- Without a doubt. Yeah. And I am also expecting United to go through, unfortunately. Um, just purely based on that game, honestly. Not like not much else. I'll I'll throw the previous leg out the window because if the same exact eleven is not played, I will be thoroughly surprised. Mm. So Rian, there's another team in england that requires some discussion and without going into too much detail i'd like for you to explain to me what your thoughts on the state-run club derby was this past weekend between chelsea and <laughs> uh and newcastle oh man dude this sport is in a terrible place <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're laughing but we're crying too you just can't see it this sport's in a terrible place. Um, Chelsea fans, not all. Again, subset, subset of Chelsea fans, idiots, still chanting Roman Abramovich's name. Uh, you had Saudi Arabia flags up in the Newcastle end. <laughs> oh, it was, um, gosh, the, the game was terrible for the most part, honestly. Uh, Chelsea didn't really play well. I think Newcastle much better coach now i thought they actually defended really well and and made things extremely difficult for chelsea and this is just kind of every game where chelsea doesn't have reese james or ben chilwell is kind of a slog and that's that's just that's just the that's how it is it's it's gonna be a while until you get the back (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah reese james obviously out for the next few games after just coming back um and then chilwell's out for the season so yeah this is just how it goes but what they were missing through a lot of the rough parts of this season was just special moments, like just someone to do something world-class level to, to just get a win. Um, and look, I, I'm going to spend so much of this week rewatching that Havertz goal. I mean, he's, 
outside of just the amazing form that he's been in, I think it's nine goals and assists in his last 10 games and, and four goals in the last four games. He's been playing great, but man, that was such a special moment. That goal is that was really nice he's uh, he's also in incredible for how many goals has he scored in his last maybe five games uh, i believe it's four there you go i mean a great ball from Jorginho as well like, maybe the best pass i've seen Jorginho play um before <laughs> and then just the not only the touch but the quick one two touch shot from havertz um uh, after after what was a tough day for him, especially up against um, Dan Byrne, the, the Newcastle center back, like uh, he had the yellow card in the in the first half. I don't think it should it should have been a red card at all. I don't think it would have been. I'm biased, maybe, but I think it would have been really. You don't harsh. you don't think the elbow was enough to warrant it? No, I you know, but but okay, I I don't because he's not looking at the at the player during the entire time that that he's jumping up. I, I get that impact yes it's like it it was it looks nasty like it's like the elbow let me let me ask you a different way then if it was given a red card would you have complained i would have i would have been really disappointed for them to give a red i i would have felt like they i would have it it wouldn't have been crazy to give a red Uh, i'll say that it wouldn't have been crazy it wouldn't have been crazy (laughs) i think it would have been extremely harsh because I don't know how you can say it's intentional fully right. that he was trying to hit him in the head, but I will say second half that Chalaba foul in the penalty area. I have no idea how that didn't get called yeah. <laughs> a, a, a penalty. I live. I thought it was a penalty. Then they showed it and each replay made it look worse. And yet, <laughs> and yet those were all the replays that the VAR was looking at. So I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, um, but you know, We'll get blue in the face um, talking about refereeing decisions from Premier League referees, especially <laughs> with VAR. So, well, this is actually a really good transition because, of course, I can float my own conspiracy theory in that one state-run club gave more money to the referee than the other state-run club, and that's the reason why it wasn't called. With, well, which I would reply <laughs> with what money right now? <laughs> and that is a great transition to what the hell's going on at Chelsea because. <laughs> As of, I believe, uh, today's Monday at time of recording, as of this past weekend, Chelsea have, sorry, Roman Abramovich specifically, and his assets, which make that a really important distinction here, have been sanctioned by the UK government. Now, Rian, I I was kind of confused by what that meant in the context of what Chelsea can do now. Obviously, I understand the idea of sanctioning oligarch i get that but what does this actually mean for chelsea right now because there's been a lot of confusion yeah so the sanctions i believe came out like i want to say last wednesday or thursday so this is our first time recording since since that situation um so as this is as much as i know and i'm and i'm gonna try to just go pretty high level on these as just a few hit a few bullet points here so as of right now, no new tickets can be sold by Chelsea um, for this season. The merchandise shop closed. Um, I honestly need to see. I don't think the global mega store is even open. Um, so no merchandise, no revenue in that sense can come in. Three UK, which is a telecom company, which is Chelsea's main shirt sponsor, the three, suspended their sponsorship 
same with Hyundai, who's the shirt sleeve sponsor, suspended, not terminated the, the contracts of their sponsorship, but has suspended it. Um, banks temporarily suspended Chelsea's accounts. Um, apparently, they could not buy fuel for the bus um, last week, like when their credit cards got frozen. Um, I'm assuming that they ended up getting it somehow. Um, did, did you see what Thomas Tuchel said after? Uh, oh the yeah, game? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tuchel coming coming out after the match, um, saying if, if we can't go by plane, then we'll go by uh, by bus. And if, it was and it was train, we're... I believe. Train and then, then train. Yeah. If it was if it was not a train, then it was I believe it would have been a bus. And then if it was not a bus, my favorite one is Thomas Tuchel himself driving a seven seater, yeah. <laughs> which I would love to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's handled this. Like, uh, yeah, Elias has said it, said it in our last um, episode, but he's handled this all beautifully. And yeah, um, I can only hope that whoever the new owners come in, um, just give him, give him all the power. <laughs> give him, like, just hand the club to him. Um, outside of that though, but, clubs working with the government on being able to sell away tickets which they also are not able to do right now which would be would really suck for the fans um so uh we'll see what happens with that but the most important thing is for now the government is allowing uh the u.s investment bank rain group to go ahead with the sale process they've put a deadline for bids to come in by this friday um We'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm not going to go into who the bidders are right now because it's look. Well, well, there's a lot. There's a lot from what we've heard. There's a there's a few that are actually serious, and I think by next week we'll have a pretty good idea of who the one winner is or two. Um, but it's it's apparently somewhat of an auction style that is happening right now, which scares me a bit, especially considering. Um, I think the only the only bidder that that I'll bring up is that is the Saudi Telecom, uh, Saudi Media Group. Yeah, you you want to go into detail about? That? I don't even know if we have any. Not not, de- not many details, but but high level is Saudi Media Group, a consortium led by Saudi Media Group, who apparently their owner is a Chelsea fan. I think lives in London. Even um, is has put in a bid to buy the club. And um, as we're all being fed, is no direct links to the government, even to the Saudi government, uh, which this past weekend recorded a record of 81 executions on the eve of of their game with Chelsea. And uh, obviously that, yeah, the timing just couldn't be any better or worse, depending on your perspective. Um, You know, um, Eddie Howe was actually asked about that after the game and gave a pretty oh, yeah. non-answer answer um in which he i'm paraphrasing here basically said he just wants to focus on football um and it's pretty difficult to do that well that's like i mean it's like basically having a parent that's in jail like it's it's that's the only equivalent analogy <laughs> yeah, that I can think of. yeah yeah <laughs> but not in jail has it's more like has done terrible things uh, allegedly Alleg- alle- allegedly but, but but it's allegedly for us we actually in this case we actually know these terrible things have happened so it's a bit different um but yeah obviously the, the response is 
of Eddie Howe and Tom Stuckel have been pretty different in the face of uh, the controversy with their owners. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. As I said on Twitter, if the Premier League is is real about this fit and proper ownership stuff, then uh, there's no chance that this happens. But also, as I mentioned, <laughs> Saudi media <laughs> group is partially owned by the same public investment fund that owns Newcastle, which is owned by, well, I I will let the listeners connect the dots there. So that's where we are. And we'll have a lot more on that next week. Potentially the the owner could have been picked by by uh, next week at this time. So we'll see. Um, as from there, sh- shall we just finish up real quickly on things at the bottom of the table before we take a break? Yes. Where... Rian, do we stand at the bottom of the table in the relegation zone? In, in the relegation zone, I mean, Leeds picked up their first win in, I don't know, like two months. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A huge... Is that Jesse Marsh's first point? Yeah. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. 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 Because the other games were losses. You're right. Yep. Um, yeah. First win for first Premier League win for Jesse Marsh. Um, props to him. They, they could have won one or two of those other games of the past if they would have finished well and they almost didn't win this past game because they just couldn't finish their chances um but no they they got over the line a crazy crazy game gelhart score north scores in in the first minute of stoppage time gelhart for lead scores in the sixth minute of added time it's like absurd scenes um ellen road ellen road is lead stadium Watford also picked up a win against Southampton. So two huge wins leads just to get some breathing space and then um, Watford to move themselves closer to safety. Everton is now in real, real scary zone. It's like scary hours fully for for Everton. Four games in hand though. Four Four games games in hand. Yeah, they have games in hand. Not to say that they're going to pick up <laughs> yeah, like 12 points like, here. What's but... the, well, yeah, like realistically, what is the um, yeah confidence level of taking advantage, right? But we'll see. Um, like Burnley also lost over the weekend. They moved to with 19th in the league now. It's Everton, are, they have too much talent, as we said. They have too much talent to go down, and yet – they are not playing like a team that has enough talent to stay up. So is this a too big to fail kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I've seen how this ends. Then <laughs> <laughs> They will not be getting bailed out. That's for sure. So it might be a no. little tougher for them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's where we are with, with um, the bottom of the table. And uh, it's, it only gets more difficult for all these teams, but Everton have Newcastle next. That has to be a win. That's 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 pretty simple. Wow, you you're really not pulling any punches here, or, or just and letting I, I say that because it has to be a win. Yeah, no, what if Rian? I mean, what if <laughs> it's it's Newcastle, then West Ham, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, Chelsea. So yeah, I think they got to get a win somewhere there. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're really not wrong. Wow. Well, is that everything we had for the Premier League? Did I? Did I read our notes right? 
<laughs> no, you got it perfectly now. Beautiful. Okay, can I take a break and then get water and then we can talk about La Liga? That sounds like a plan. Okay, all right, let's do that. BRB. <laughs> All right, Rian, I got my water. Let's talk about La Liga. Um, where do we want to start, Rian? Elias, let's start with the top four. A guy who has been on fire in the last month or so, um, even going back to the first leg versus Manchester United, Joao Felix finally getting a legitimate run in this team uh, is is really doing what we kind of thought could was possible if he got any sort of run in this team Basically. over over you know the the biting Gordo esque. Luis Suarez specifically for me it's Um, it's the esque it's not anything else (laughs) yeah yeah he's he's trying to slim down he looks a bit slimmer than his last season at Barcelona oh my god (laughs) Uh, but no Jean Felix Elias is he proving to Simeone that he should have been playing this much all along or do you think Simeone's going to look back on this season and be like, I handled him perfectly. I waited <laughs> until we were 15 points off of first place <laughs> to start playing him regularly, and it worked. <laughs> if Listen, if that all along was Diego Simeone's plan, I mean, it it's worked perfectly. I just know for a fact that it was not. <laughs> so I can't give him any credit for this. But Simeone is basically, in some ways, I have to give credit for him to, like, putting aside whatever personal beef he may have with João Felix. Because, like, clearly some of the decisions at a managerial level, i.e. giving him a seven-year contract, were not done maybe within Diego Simeone's purview. Um, but I think there there's important parts to João Felix's game that really, really need to be highlighted. I mean, he has scored four goals, five goals now in his last five games um, in all competitions. And he has consistently showed up. And the interesting thing about it is two of those goals have come in the first 10 minutes of the game. One against Atletico, or wow, (laughs) one against United. Let's try that again. Um, And one this past weekend against Cadiz. And he, the one thing that he is doing so much better than he was months ago last season etc is he's clearly developed his understanding of where he's supposed to be on the field i think that like for me i started to realize that like just how important that was and and, in terms of his development terms of his growth when he played or atletico played barcelona i believe it was late last season or earlier this season i'm forgetting which which game it was it was at the camp new and he basically like skinned a combination of Jared PK and Sergino Dest. Like anytime he got the ball, he was either fouled or he got in behind. And it's because he's playing in a front two type situation with either Angel Correa or we saw this past weekend with Antoine Griezmann as he's coming back to fitness. And 
he needs someone else to serve as a reference point. That's what I'm starting to learn. And I think he's starting to learn that. When he's able to find space in between the fullback and the center back, he is so lethal because A, he's very quick, but also B, he has such poise on the ball and understanding of where his other runners are coming from. And he's slowed down the game. He understands those reference points and he's using them to his, to his advantage. Not to, not to mention the fact that like he is pressing really well. Two of like his goals over the, over the, I believe the last five games have come from him individually, either getting a mistake out of a goalkeeper, defensive player, et cetera, or his press leading to a defensive mistake in some capacity that leads to a goal. So he he's learning he's developing i think that's all what we kind of wanted to see um and honestly i'm happy for him yeah no you you make two two great points there uh the first one on how he's creating these goals like from this past weekend really good press from him and and from atleti as a team as well you got to give credit but um then the goal itself when i first saw it i was like why the hell did the keeper jump out of the way of the ball? <laughs> like yeah. first couple, but then you get to like the, the maybe like the third, second or third replay. You can see that Felix has kind of moved him with his eyes, made it seem like he was going to go cross it to someone who was coming into the box. And keeper has no idea if anyone is actually behind him, which no one was. But he, he it's really clever. He looks them off and then just like pretty easily slots it into uh, the middle of the net. So um the other thing though in felix's kind of positioning there you make a great point that he is obviously better with a target man not necessarily a target man, but with a second a, a partner of some partner sort, up yeah. there yeah um and it's it's really 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 good point on you because we see these players or these types of players and think oh well you could just play a false nine he could just play as a striker. He's just like <laughs> you didn't think like, it was that simple. You could just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like why is this? Why do they just play him as the false nine, whatever? But like, obviously, yeah, he needs someone to play off of, and that's where you're going to get the best out of him. Um, so it's it's great that Simeone is actually trying to get the best out of him now, and not doing whatever the hell he was doing for most of the first half of the season and some of last season, where he's playing like as like a left mid or something or something really just just like not helpful Crazy. to him at all <laughs> yeah but it, it, it's great to see that it's great to see him develop and i'm far more excited to watch this a combination of him and griezmann than a combination of him and luis suarez yeah yeah i think i think that no that that goes without saying because i think the dynamic nature of antoine griezmann is like they're very similar players in that sense so i'm very interested to see how it plays out but I think their movement is going to be really, really helpful um, to each other. And I think they're going to complement each other really well. And if Antoine Griezmann starts alongside Jao Felix against United, expect, I'm calling it right now, one combination of whatever, it, I don't know if it's going to be Maguire, Varane, um, how they're going to Lindelof, right? Um, expect one of them to look stupid at one point during this game. Um, and I'm going to laugh because it's freaking hilarious. So anyway. What else? What else, Ryan? What else we got? Oh, okay, so the rest of the um, top four here. We'll move on to Sevilla, who are now drifting from first place. Right? That's a, that's a word. <laughs> Just drifting away, and I use drifting because they're not quite 
sinking. They're not losing games. They're drawing a lot. In fact, six of their last eight have been draws. And I think it's not totally unsurprising because when we spoke about their kind of underlying numbers from the first half of this season, we noted that they were they were kind of overcooking. They they were they were scoring a lot of low percentage goals, like so, like beautiful beautiful goals, of course, but low percentage. They're they're doing well defensively. I think they've been def- defensively very good this season, but they weren't creating that much um, during a lot of this season. And they brought in on Anthony Mar- Martial to maybe think that maybe that would kind of boost it. Um, they ha- haven't gotten as much out of Papu Gomez as I think they would have liked and and he could have been more of a influence this season but all of those factors converging into very mediocre run of form in the last couple months Elias Mr. The title race never ends <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to come back to bite me right. but continue are you holding on that that Sevilla can get themselves back into the picture here for the Spanish title or is it is it feeling like a maybe a bit of a bridge too far no I mean you, you raise a good point um six out of Sevilla's last eight La Liga games I believe have all been draws and I I just after this weekend I mean I think there's only really one thing to say but I'd like to just congratulate Real Madrid for winning La Liga that's that's basically oh, the it. hypocrisy no no that's that's basically it because I think those are two very different situations as you all very clearly know but it, I, there's nothing else in this title race I believe for for either team it's not like I can point to Sevilla and say oh they have a couple games in hand or you know they play Real Madrid again and we'll, you know, come out with three additional points. Like, no, like, yes, they play Real Madrid, uh, I believe mid-April, but it's a 10 point gap. Now there's, there's a higher likelihood of Barcelona finishing in second right now as things stand. And I'm just disappointed with how Sevilla have fell off. I, I granted, I think some of their injuries throughout the last two months have really really impaired their ability to continue and push on but that that doesn't change the fact that i'm disappointed thoroughly disappointed um yeah i'm just sad honestly for Sevilla because they really did have a chance at some point during the season um as as rian knows i always say it but talent shines through i'm a pro- i'm yeah. a product of my own justification <laughs> no but but you make good points it's, it's been difficult season for them i mean and Nasiri, who led the team in goals last year, 18 goals last season, he's only played just under 800 minutes this year, like, or this yeah. season, right? Um, three goals and one assist, but that's a huge loss, right? Not to have that player for the season. And it kind of makes you... Um, it makes you think. Like, makes you think, yeah. But and, and, it, and, it, and it makes you kind of realize why although they have scored 40 goals um their xg is about is a little under 32 they're 12th um or sorry ninth i believe here in in um in xg like they're they're behind they're behind levante in terms of xg from this season they're behind levante yeah. are you serious <laughs> yeah <laughs> no 
I had no idea. We're talking <laughs> for for those who do not know, we're talking about a Levante side who is literally last in La Liga. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Wow, I had no idea. So that that it's not enough to carry that. It's not enough to um, carry the the team consistently, right? Like that that kind of you're not going to overperform to no. that level. You can't be that poor at creating chances and think that you're going to be able to win the title. They're third in terms of expected goals allowed. So they've been great defensively, as I said, and, and first in the league in terms of goals allowed. So that part of the side of the game has been great for them. But yeah, it's it's difficult to see how this team can really challenge um, Real Madrid for the rest of the season. Agreed. And I don't see them doing it. So let's move on, because I think to answer your question, Ryan, they are out of the title race. Um, and there are Really, I mean, if we're talking about the top four in the context of Sevilla, we should be talking about them in the context of where they finish in relation to Real Betis at this point. Um, and Atletico, of course, since they're basically a couple of points apart. Um, but Atletico, one thing I forgot to mention, have Real Madrid, Sevilla, Real Sociedad, and Bilbao to play. Real Betis, who just beat Bilbao over the weekend, which I did not expect, and have put themselves firmly back into the top four race, although they're not in fourth or in fifth. Um, Real Batiste also have Real Sociedad, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Valencia to play out of kind of their, their big upcoming games. So last weekend, I said that it really might be over for Real Batiste if they lost to Sevilla and they did. Maybe I was wrong. May, one slip up from Atletico could really go the other way for them so i'll leave it at that and let's move on (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that i predict that it'll still be atletico and and um and barca that sneak in there and uh i think sevilla will go into the last few games this season definitely still kind of nail biting and and still needing to confirm their their position in top four but um it it should still i think betty should still have a chance at the end here, as long as they don't drop off completely, their form doesn't drop off completely. Well, Elliot, from one team that is semi-collapsing, um, and collapsing is even is a tough word to use for Sevilla, to a team that um, has just perfected the art of it. <laughs> like, like I mean... I'm, I was really, I just want to say, I was really, really waiting for how beautifully crafted of an intro you would put together for this part of the the pod and i have not been disappointed please it's music to my ears a club that spurs fans would watch and say wow you guys really collapsed and do it in a more impressive way than than spurs talking about psg who since the last time we recorded were 20 minutes away from making into the quarterfinals of the of the Champions League. Um, up 1-0 after the first leg with Real Madrid. Up 2-0 on aggregate after halftime. Then the second half happens. Donnarumma brain farts for like six seconds. Foul or no foul? Quickly. Foul or no foul? It, no one's surprised if that's called a foul, realistically. 
no one's surprised if it's called a foul, but you almost don't want to give it because you don't want to bail him out from just holding on <laughs> because he held on to the ball for so long and he didn't justify winning a foul there, but you couldn't have been upset if a foul was called <laughs> outside of that for the rest of the game. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't, I almost don't want to talk about them this much. It just, it's the same thing for the exact same reason that after that first game against Man City in the, in the group stage, even though they won the game, PSG, the same reason why after that game, I was fairly certain that team's not coming close to winning the Champions League. The exact same reasons came up in this game. I mean, the mental collapse was absolutely amazing. Like, genuinely in awe of how the first goal happens for Madrid and then PSG just, like, lose all composure and don't know how to pass the ball forward anymore. It was it was truly stunning. But even through all of that, at no point did Messi, Mbappe, Mbappe, who was amazing during the game, obviously. Like, could, have, could have scored a hat trick. I mean, the, the goal, the not offside goal where he dummies the step over against Courtois and like in the most like smooth motion. Ronaldo-esque, by the way, like, like yeah, Brazilian R9, Ronaldo. Brazilian yeah. Ronaldo, yeah. yeah. Against you know, when he played for Inter, yeah, especially. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of issues with this, this PSG team. I haven't won away against a top seven team in league on and have not won away in the champions league this season. Think about like, think about how significant that is. Yeah. That, that's just, it's, imp- you, you can't, you can't not win a single away game against the best teams in your own league and expect that you're somehow gonna be able to win three away games or in the Champions League, I mean, you don't necessarily yeah. have to win them, right? But play well in three away games, <laughs> maybe just not collapse. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just hold hold on to a lead or just lose two one in the least. Like, yeah. Um, at least I don't know who. We can throw a lot of blame around here, um, for PSG, but. I, what, what do you see from the outcome of this game for for PSG in terms of who's going to get the who's going to get who's going to really have to feel the the blame from this game um and kind of like what does it even mean for for like this these especially the front 3 but the front 3 plus Pochettino um yeah, going yeah. forward so i i have three major thoughts on this game the first being about the game specifically and then the aftermath are, are my other two points. But about this game specifically, I learned one major thing. And that major thing is that PSG's problem is not really on the field. Their biggest problem is the fact that they have such a fear and such a mentality surrounded by losing over the last six years in the Champions League at either the quarterfinal or, or round of 16 stages, especially, I mean, we could talk about the final and, and things like that, but um, because they've been knocked out and embarrassingly so on three now occasions, we're talking about against Real Madrid, against Barcelona, against Chelsea, 
they have they have been embarrassed at the highest level of football and they measure at a management level their success based on the highest basically competition or most competitive competition in the world and when you do that you essentially have bred a culture of yes very fine margins but fear almost this this idea that there is fear of a what if what could happen if we don't you know make it past x portion of the champions league or don't win the champions league and that i think is the biggest takeaway that i had from this game i i don't think that Neymar played well. I think he's a large part in why Luka Modric was able to walk through this PSG um, midfield. Like, I I don't think, (laughs) I don't think Messi played well after the first goal. I thought he was fantastic in the first half and across three quarters of this tie. Mbappe was world-class, but I also question Pochettino and his decision to bring off Paredes, albeit on the yellow card for Idrissa Gea. Um, my second and third points are real, are really along the lines of what happens now. First and foremost, I think it's very possible that we see Al Khalifi and Leonardo, their sporting director and chairman of the club, um, <clears throat> both leave in the summer. I think that's that's entirely possible. And I tweeted my this will be my third point, my reaction to kind of my thoughts after this. I think it's entirely possible that we see two, if not three, of their front three leave this summer, and the only kind of really big question mark there of course is who's going to pay for what <laughs> i think the mbappe situation is pretty clear right off to madrid that's done and dusted messi clearly doesn't love it there psg doesn't really have a lot of love for him especially the fans and neymar is really the most difficult one to leave because he just signed a massive contract extension and no one really is going to buy him so I think the fans might hate him more than many of them. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And uh, quite honestly, I, I think it's the biggest decision, biggest mistake he's made in his career, leaving Barcelona for PSG. I think we can all kind of say that. Um, I also think it's possible Messi leaves in the summer and says, what have I done? <laughs> like, let me go back to Chavi, like someone hold me. Um, that's, again, complicated. But I also think Pochettino leaves in the summer. There's no need to sack him now. They're all, the only thing they have left is Liga and they're going to win it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that seems like the most obvious one that's going to be gone out of those four. Too, it's right? a, it's the most obvious <laughs> one, but it's it's yeah, it's the one that probably just has to happen. So yeah, <sighs> look at the. the uh, uh, that's, sorry, this is my, my last thing on yeah, the, yeah, yeah on the team. Look outside of like you make a great point that fear, you know, a team that plays the entire season, and only thing that matters is like. 10 to 15 games during the entire year like like and that's definitely like the message. 50 total yeah. yeah that's like and that's not just like in their own head or in their coaches or what their coaches are saying it's like it's from top down like that's the message so that's a tremendous amount of pressure to play under as a, as a person um and, and then outside of that the team is just terribly built like it uh, uh, just just <laughs> terribly built team just it, so yeah you you the sporting director should have been gone probably years ago. I, I, it's, it's almost amazing. You're like, how do these people run the football club? Like they're just, they're, they're just playing FIFA. And, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so enough of the PSG stuff. On to uh, let's see, Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are 
we've got a Classico coming up this weekend. We were we were talking about it like briefly at the break, where I was like, Rian, you know, a Classico is this weekend, and we were both like, wait, what? <laughs> it just kind of crept up on it. Like I didn't even think about it. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, um, first of all, I would be interested to you know hear quickly. Do you, do you think Real Madrid overall deserve to go through this tie? Real Madrid scored more goals than PSG. Therefore they deserve to go through. That's my answer. <laughs> and I, I and say they didn't that shit like, themselves too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> At no but, point did, did shit and a combination of piss and sharding <laughs> happen on the pitch at the same time. I know the so, podcast. Thank so. you. I've been thinking about it. Um, yeah, no, they did not, but it, it like, it doesn't matter. Real Madrid scored more goals. PSG were the better team for over the course of what three hours, maybe two hours and 30 minutes, two hours, 40 minutes. They were the better team, but doesn't matter when you collapse like that. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, from a Barcelona point, they got Pascal Tassaray. Oh, well won the first leg um, and looked great again. Looked good again this past weekend. Usman Dembele looked... Oh, wait, sorry, didn't win it. My bad. They, they drew against Galatasaray, correct? Drew against Galatasaray, played them this Thursday away in Turkey, and then they have the... Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? El Clasico over on yeah. Sunday. But it was, a, it was another game where they created enough chances to get through. Um, Ferran Torres did it this weekend, but if he can just finish at like a slightly below average level, he'll score 20 goals a season in this team. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, Ferran Torres this past weekend played brilliantly uh, against Osasuna at home, scored two goals, won a penalty, won a brilliant assist from, I, I can't believe I was about to say this, but Usman Dembele is playing out of his mind right now. Um, and has not killed over with an injury, which is very, very nice. Um, Rian, my honestly, my big thing is like trying to figure out who the front three of this Barcelona team is right now. Like, I feel like the rest of the team is pretty, pretty well sorted. Um, but we do have to just, I just briefly want to mention Dembele's resurgence, as I called in our notes. He has already surpassed his highest La Liga season assist tally, um, with seven. And the season is not over. He's also played only like half of this season so far. He is averaging, you'll love this. <clears throat> you'll you'll love the stats I got. I, I'm I'm beaming. Yes, of course. He has he is averaging his most ever progressive passes, through balls, shot creating actions, passes, and crosses into the box per 90 across his entire Barcelona career. And he has played half the season. And this to me told me one thing. One thing about how Xavi has changed Dembele is his ability to combine with Danny Alves and Pedri on the interior is beautiful because he basically rotates with them and it gives him free reign. And that's how, that's how Dembele was like meant to be used as purely a right-sided winger, not purely, but a right-sided winger that's left-footed that can cut inside when needed and basically rotate. It's it it's wonderful to watch. If you if you have a chance to go by back and like watch some clips of him this weekend, fantastic. I'm not remotely surprised by that last point you just made um, in terms of the the combinations, the three man game, pretty much that's going on that right side. Because 
seeing a similar thing from the left side as well. And the fact that we're seeing it on both sides of the field, you're obviously it's something that's being coached. Um, but also like the players have the are gaining the relationship to be able to move, but you can see like it's it all comes back to triangles, right? We're all it just all comes back to the triangles again. And from on the left side, it's whoever the left center mid whoever the left wing and whoever the left back is. And on the right side is whoever's the right wing, whoever's the right center mid and whoever the right back is yep. all combining <laughs> with each other and creating like relationships on those sides of the field and, um, and doing it in like an unpredictable way as well. Right. Not static yet. Someone's always keeping the width and it's usually the wingers of Dembele or Ferran Torres. And then we're seeing them make those darting, diagonal runs into the box as we saw with uh Ferran Torres's goal so it's you you can see what this team what the best version of this team is gonna look like um as players come in and I think the best version of this front three right now is what we saw the past weekend which is Ferran Torres, Pupier, Amico, Aubameyang and and Usman Dembele and I think that gives you the most speed and right now is giving you the best finishing of, of any front three combination. So yeah, it's great point. The, the Barcelona team is really fun to watch right now. Like just, just the pure vibes the, the difference between it. this and like the uh, all due respect, but Luke De Jong <laughs> and, and, and uh, like I said, the final season of, of Suarez and, and um, Messi, even though he, Messi was, was messy, amazing as always. Right. But just limited, he, still limited. Yeah. Limited in terms of like the pace and, and, this team is just gives you much different problems than any of the teams in the last unpredictable four years problems. Has. Yeah, that's the exactly. biggest thing. Rian, last thing, and I'll let you go. Prediction for El Clasico this weekend. Well, you told me that Karen Benzema's got injured today. Um, he scored two goals, he got an assist, and, and he got injured um, afterwards. I, I was it would have been setting up for a fantastic match because both teams would have been going in in great form and relatively healthy. Um, I think Barcelona gets a win. I would say it. Interesting. Yeah. Away in Madrid, Rihanna's predicting Barcelona to win. Fascinating. Yeah. That's all yeah. I've got to say. Fascinating. <laughs> With I'm, that, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right now. Welcome to the dark side, my friend. Welcome. <laughs> but anyway... With that, we'll leave it there. Rian has predicted probably the result I, I'm not predicting. I'm predicting Real Madrid to win or draw. I'm actually, I'm going to go with 2-2 draw, but um, I'll leave it there. We'll see you guys next week. I'm ending on a good note. <laughs> Thanks, guys.